0: Summer Camp and COVID-19, presented by the Sherry Group, LLC.
1: Yes, welcome to Summer Camp and COVID-19, presented by the Sherry Group, LLC. I am Drew Demery, here with my co-host David Sherry, and today we have with us Corey Harrison. Corey, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. So Corey, first, tell us a little bit about your camp. I'd like to get to know um, a little bit about where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. So, um, I have the privilege of being the executive director of YMCA Camp Greenville, which is uh, located in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. We are a camp way atop the Blue Ridge Mountains. So, we're at 3,500 feet elevation. Um, We uh, have a very unique setting 1,400 acres, two lakes, four waterfalls, um, and just an amazing uh, setting. and our camp uh, primarily, uh, our, our kind of sweet spot for our camp is our summer camp program, like many uh, of your listeners it is. Uh, but we also have um, a fairly large uh, groups in education program that we've run on a year-round basis. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, we ran um, a, a about a million-dollar program in, in schools and retreats. And uh, one of the unique things about Camp Greenville is we have a pretty iconic chapel that's called Pretty Place Chapel, and we do um, over 300 weddings a year at the chapel that we host. So uh, it keeps us really busy year round.
1: Wow, I had no idea. 300, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy.
1: So yeah, we're, we're
0: owned uh, by the YMCA of Greenville, which is an incredible association
1: in Greenville, South Carolina. That's a little bit about us. Yeah, you told us a little bit about pre-COVID. Tell us a little bit about the times of COVID this year. Tell us a little bit about what this year looked like for you.
0: You know, this year was um, quite unique and it was a learning experience as it was uh, probably for, for most people. As we started the process of realizing um, what was happening in our, in our country with COVID as things began to shut down in March and April, um, you know, we began to uh, really think very quickly about how we were going to respond to what was happening around us as a camp. And the directions that we were going to we were going to head, we really, um, I think a couple of things aligned really well for us at the time that uh, this all began to happen. I, I just happened to be reading a book uh, by a guy named Dan Heath called Upstream. And in the book, he starts out with this parable um, right at the beginning. So the first lines of the book starts with this parable where he says, there are, um, you and a friend are having a picnic beside a river and you hear some screaming coming from the river. Somebody is in the river drowning. You and your friend rush out and you grab the person and you drag them to shore safely. But as you're doing that, you hear the scream of another person. And so just as you drop that first person off, you go running out and try to rescue the next person. As you're dragging her to the river, you hear the voices of two and three other people people um, and you begin to rescue them. But as you're doing that, your friend believe, begins to walk out of the water, leaving you to do all the rescuing by yourself. You yell out to your friend, hey, where are you going? And he says, I'm going upstream to stop the person from throwing the people in the river. And the book is all about this idea of having upstream responses versus downstream reactions. So because we were reading this um, as a staff, and we were digging into this, uh, we were very quick to say, we got to get ahead of this thing before it happens. So we were really, um, I felt like um, jumping a- ahead of the whole process, even a step ahead of it happening instead of reacting to it. And a lot of it was just due to kind of reading that book. So we were, we were on top of what was happening with CDC, what was happening with the ACA, what's happening in the YMCA. Um, we had all of our operational documents to the South Carolina Department of Health before they were ever even asking for them. We had our stamp of approval to run summer camp before it was ever given. And we had already restructured and strategized camp moving forward as it relates to those schools and groups um, before summer had even hit. And so there were a lot of what we did that I think helped make us successful this summer was because of that upstream thinking.
2: So you went ahead and ran overnight camp this summer, what did that look like for you?
0: I think um, the American Camp Association said 86% of camps did not run across the country. Um, it, at least that was the number that I had read. And so we were one of those unique groups that were able to run and, and for us, we ran eight and a half weeks of, of summer camp, not including our staff training weeks. Uh, we had uh, 1,500 kids come in for week-long sessions at camp. Um, we had a incident free summer as you, as you probably saw a lot of camps were not um, lucky enough to have incident free summers and um, had to shut down in the middle of of their summer at the beginning of their summer. But, um, we had some things that I think we did right that set us up for success. And I'm happy to kind of walk you through a couple of those things that I think, um, worked out really well for us. Um, but yeah, we, so for us, we ran, um, at 50% capacity. Um, so 1,500 kids instead of the normal 3,000 kids um, and um, obviously put some other operational protocols in place uh, to run successfully to summer and what we did is we stuck with those protocols we never compromised not once on them and because we did that I think it's what led us to a successful COVID-free uh, summer at Camp Greenville so we're really excited that we were able to kind of get through it um, incredible response from our families and parents too
2: Well congratulations on being able to run camp and have it be safe and healthy.
0: I I just think that's fantastic.
2: So what, what were some of those protocols you put in place?
0: Let me, I'll take you back to the kind of the beginning of of the process that really helped with all of this. Uh, uh, Step one was I'm pretty involved. I sit on um, a 12 person committee um, that is the overnight camping cabinet for the YMCA national movement. So there's about 310-ish overnight camps and um, there are 12 of us that sit on this committee. Early on in that process, uh, the CEO of the American Camp Association, the COO of the American Camp Association, Uh, Two or three of us from that overnight camp cabinet. Well, actually, probably all 12 of us from the camp cabinet and an environmental agency out of Boston began working on some policies for the CDC. Um, The CDC said early on that they wanted to get camp open because there was no other high density population integration for kids outside of school in the fall. So summer camp and summer camp being open was really important. So early on, we were able to work on um, these CDC policies that were gonna be released. And then if you remember, this is going all the way back into March and April, there was some conflict between the White House and the CDC and then 17 pages of the documents leaked in the Washington Post and it got kind of messy. We ended up with a set of standards that, um, a very small set of standards from CDC and a nice operational guideline that the YMC of the USA and the American Camp Association put out. Because we were privileged to be able to work on those documents, we had them sitting on the desk of our South Carolina Department of Health before they were ever even fully released. Um, So when the Department of Health took a look at them, they said, wow, this looks very much like the CDC policies and the ACA policies. Approved. So, uh, because we we were we were able to kind of work on those ahead of time, and because we had them waiting for our Department of Health, that was it, that was a huge part of it. Because remember, the CDC is a guideline; it doesn't have any operational authority to our CAMs. They were just providing guidelines of how you should operate. Um, it's really your Department of Health that was making the decision, or your governor that was making your decision. So, the first uh, thing that I think was really important to us is we were involved in. In, in on sort of a, a national and regional level in any way that we could you know so as a camp we i, I think that was something that made us successful is we chose to be involved and in, and in, you know in my encouragement to any younger camp directors out there that i that i work with it's always get involved in whatever you can because it will put you at the table when you need to be at the table and certainly that was the the case um the case for us second thing is we're south carolina South Carolina is different than Washington, it's different than New York, it's different than California, there's just no way around it. It, it, South Carolina operated on a different set of policies and rules, and so we kind of um, lucked into that too, uh, the state that we're located in. The state above us, North Carolina, a lot of those camps were not able to open until July, and so um, we were able to be open and have approval to open way back in May. A third thing that was really successful for us is we have a strong partnership with the largest health provider in the state of South Carolina. So Prisma Health, which used to be the Greenville Health System, is our hospital system here um, in the area. And we have a strong partnership with that health system prior to COVID even happening. Um, They have just built us a a really state-of-the-art health center. And they provide every one of our nurses and doctors on a weekly basis at Camp Greenville. So we don't hire a camp nurse during the summer. They provide them for us.
2: What a great resource that is.
0: It, it, it's incredible so that when we came to the point where we were developing operational standpoint uh, statements as it related to COVID, we had them reviewed by the Infectious Disease Department of the largest health system in South Carolina. And so that third thing that was really unique for us was that partnership with the health system. And and again, whenever I, I'm talking with camp directors or camp folks um, about something that they could be doing to be successful, especially now, is build and develop relationships and partnerships with your health systems around you. Because that's what the CDC kept saying, even in the documents they released was, we these phases were all based on what's your health system like? Can it handle if there were an outbreak? So because they provided us doctors and nurses on a weekly basis, because um, we had this, you know, uh, really kind of state-of-the-art health center, we were aligned to really be able to, uh, to open. And then, and then just sportly, like I said earlier in our conversation, we never compromised. Um, the state uh, of South Carolina said you can have up to 18 people in the cabin um, if you want. We never compromised our 50% number. So even though our cabins hold 16, we only kept them at eight. It would have been very easy to chase the dollar we had a wait list of 700 people at one point it would have been easy just to say hey we've got to make this money we've got to do this but we realized that the health and safety of our campers our staff and our families um, was most important so those are three or four things that I think really set us up for success along the way
2: well Corey I think it says a lot about you and the leadership of your why that uh, you made those decisions making decisions that are best for your campers even though you had a chance to to bring in more kids It says a lot about you and Just, I admire that and always have. Uh, To go back about relationships, you were talking about relationships. and, And I think for any young person getting in the industry to understand, to invest in people and develop relationships, not just with your medical staff, but with the community that you're in and with donors and alumni, and those relationships are so important. Talk about a little bit, if you could, about the relationships you had with parents this summer. And how were they reacting? How did they, were they scared? Were they pretty open? How, how'd that go?
0: Yeah, it's such a great question because maybe the most valuable relationship we have is with our parents. And so there is a culture that we've created at Camp Greenville over the last few years where we are very connected to our parents. What I mean is, there are, I, I see around our kind of the camping world, this perception that parents have become a pain. That as um, we look at our numbers, uh, almost 75% of our parents are millennial parents now, right? So this is a different parent than the Gen X parents that came before them. And yet I see camps, Use, use terminology, in and in, in sometimes in a negative way, we call them helicopter parents. We, we make jokes about millennials. We make comments about how they parent, um, how, how they're Velcro parents. They're like stuck to the side of their children wherever they go. And as a camp, um, over the last few years, we've taken the philosophy of we are not going to tell parents how they should parent. I, I've read articles in 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 camping magazines and, and 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 by people that I respect greatly that have said, look. You need to detox from your kid. You need to separate from your child. Um, just you know, let them go to camp. No, you can't drop off packages. No, you can't communicate with them at Camp Greenville while, or while they're at camp. At Camp Greenville, we've just taken a different approach to that. We think parents are the most valuable asset we have and we have opened as much communication we can with them to build trust. Listen, the world in which parents are raising their kids today is not the same as it was for you and I, Dave. It just isn't, right? Kids cannot go to school without certain fears as they walk through their hallways. And because of that, we've always said, we're not going to just make you drop your child off and just trust us, trust this 18 or 19 year old counselor that you've never met before that they're going to take care of your child. And yeah, no, you can't talk to your child while they're here either. So we have found really unique ways to open communication with parents. We communicate with parents on a daily basis. We hire somebody at Camp Greenville, and this is pre-COVID, just to walk around and document what's happening live at camp. We released an app last year called Camp Greenville Live. um, And it was a live look into what was happening around camp through photos, videos, stories, interviewing campers, all while camp was happening so parents could join in from a distance. Now, primarily that's for our first year camp uh, camp families. After that first year, they trust you. And so moving into a COVID summer where things were so risky and parents were so nervous, we had already built up enough trust with our families that when we said, this is how we're going to run and this is what we're going to do and here's how we're going to keep your camper safe, they believed us ahead of time. Um, and so I think it's really important that trust in that relationship you have with parents um, is to build it early, build it often, be transparent. The, when we when parents come and check in at Camp Greenville, one of the first things that happen is I hand them my cell phone number. Every parent gets my cell phone number. It's on the bottom of every one of my emails. Now, 99% of them are never going to call me, but 99% of them feel at ease because they have the camp director's cell phone number. And that means a lot. So there's, there's an openness in a relationship we already had going into the summer. Um, and we were open and honest throughout the summer. If we had any type of scare incident that worried us, somebody who came down with a symptom, we were open and honest about it. And for, in fact, really, our only scare was at the end of summer when, um, when uh, two people tested positive for strep. And if you know anything about strep throat, the symptoms are very similar to that of COVID. And so we were very open. And luckily, the COVID test came back um, negative, and the strep test came back positive. Well, not <laughs> lucky for them, but lucky for us.
1: So right. a yeah. lot,
0: a lot of goodwill and a lot of um, just strong relationships that we had with our parents ahead of time. That's great.
1: Yeah, Corey, I'm a, I'm a millennial parent, and I think that it would take a lot of trust for me to send my. He's only two years old at the moment, but to send my child um, anywhere in the time of COVID. Yeah. Um, I mean, even now we go to the playground and I'm like, hey, maybe stay away from those other toddlers, you know, um, yeah. that takes a, a lot of trust. Um, so uh, that's great to hear. I'm, I'm excited to hear that you're doing that.
2: Drew was telling me a story today about how his son brought him some used chewing gum. from.
1: Uh... <laughs> it was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it was disgusting. A lot of hand sanitizer going around here. Um, also, you know, I think that people might listen to this podcast and be pretty envious of your situation. Um, but it sounds to me like it's it's not a matter of luck. It's a matter of long-term due diligence and hard work. What other kind of nuggets of wisdom or lessons learned can you share with our listeners here? Yeah. Well, you
0: know. Well, let me first comment on on, on, on what you said if, of our story being envious. And, and you're right. Uh, my CEO said to me of the uh, the CEO of the Y said to us to my whole staff the other day when he joined our staff meeting. He said, um, "There's a lot of people who wish they had your story right now." And and and, it, and it's it's probably true. And it came from a lot of hard work and a lot of planning and. Um, a lot of working what we had, we had planned out, but also what I've seen across the country from people that I'm connected with, because sometimes it's out of your hands. Some states just did not allow camps to run. I saw massive amount of creativity come out of camp staff and camp directors across the country. Um, I saw, I I can tell story after story of camps that turned their dining halls into feeding kitchens for people who need food, packing boxes, um, serving as an emergency site for Uh, For FEMA during hurricanes. I mean, the, the things that I heard across our country are quite fascinating. So even if your story is not the same as our story, maybe you didn't get to run summer camp. It doesn't mean your camp closes the doors and does nothing. And I saw camp staff member after camp staff member put that creative thinking hat on and really pivot and adjust um, what they were doing for summer. I hope they get to go back to summer camping because I think our youth development Um, And the impact that we can have on kids in a summer camp setting is incredibly valuable and should not be lost in this I hope that we don't permanently turn turn into um, feeding kitchens when we could be um, building strong kids. throughout this but I, I, I think there my story doesn't need to be your story your story could be unique at your camp of what you did in in this crisis and so um, I think that's one of the, the cool things that I saw um, you know nationwide as it relates to specifically to Camp Greenville um, what I saw was uh, a ton of braveness um, I saw brave parents say, that the the mental and social well-being of my children matters and I know that the risk is high but I'm still going to make this decision now that's a decision that we left up to our parents clearly we said to every parent from the beginning we are not guaranteeing you a COVID-free Camp Greenville there's no way we can with 1500 kids There's no way we could guarantee that. But what we are gonna do is guarantee that we will work our plan. You've seen the plan, you've seen the policies, we will stick to them and we will build kids um, and strengthen those emotions and that social connection because of that it was our highest rated summer in summer surveys um, that since I've been here in the last five summers our net promoter score was higher than it's ever been and the parent emails and feedbacks and thanks for for being able to put on summer um, was just un- unbelievable emails that will bring you to bring you to tears to hear them and, and to think about what what um, you know what we were able to provide to kids and so um I, I think the nugget for us is if you put the work in um it can get done and i hope that no camp across the country um has to consider not running or closing their doors or selling their camps because of it but finds but finds a way to be creative and make it happen
2: well that's a that's a great kind of transition until let can you talk a little bit about hope for the future? Where do you see our industry in a year or two years? Or, because there are camps right now who are looking around, going, "Now what?" You know? Yeah. Um, what kind of hope do you ever share?
0: My my hope, um, in, in maybe it's a little easier for me to say because we did run um, our summer is, is is that we're gonna be okay. In fact, not that we're just going to be okay, but we're actually going to be better because of this. We're going to run our camp safer and better because of what we've learned through this COVID experience. And I think we're going to be more creative. There were so many things that happened this summer at Camp Greenville that we had to do that we had been considering, but never had the guts to step forward in it. A great example of that is we've always wanted to try to stagger our meals. We've wanted to do two breakfast, two lunch, two dinner because our, our because our dining hall is so crowded, but we're like, oh, it'll never work, it'll never work. Well, guess what we had to do this summer? Um, we had to run uh, two breakfast, two lunch, two dinner, and we're not going back. There are things that we learned in the process that will just make us better. Uh, one of the challenges is just a basic challenge was how do kids refill their water bottles? The most common thing is we put these orange Gatorade containers out, right? The big five yeah. gallon ice con- Gatorade <laughs> containers and you, and kids take their water now jeans and they put it up against the nozzle, the mouth that, that they've been drinking out of goes uh-huh. against the nozzle. So we built these drinking stations that are eight feet in the air. They have a little thing that turns on and water pours down from eight feet in the air. So there's no way a camper can touch the nozzle. Um, but they just hold their water bottle under the stream of water and refill it that way. And then we saw kids running through it and taking showers in it, golf <laughs> carts driving through it like it was a car wash. Creativity. And so I, when I look at the future of where camp is going to go, we're going to be better and we're going to be safer because of this um, if we choose to be.
2: I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. And I want to take a couple minutes and say thank you. And Corey, I always enjoy listening to you talk and getting a chance to visit with you. You're a great, great leader, a great camp pro, and I just appreciate you sharing some of your thoughts with our listeners today.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I, I appreciate that, Dave. And I, uh, I look up to you and I respect you. And I think you're a hero in the camping world. And I hope um, that so many, um, Dave, that, that come behind us um, don't give up on camp. I, I know that many lost their jobs. Many were furloughed, many were laid off. Um, and they're starting to look at different careers in different places. I, I, my hope is that we're not losing a generation of incredible camp staff and camp directors. And so if they're listening, my words of encouragement are don't give up on camping. Kids need you. There are 3 million kids last year went to camp across the country. There are 30 million camp age kids. So that means 27 million kids still need to find a place at camp. So don't give up on us. Um, camps are still going to be here fighting uh, for, for kids and for youth development.
1: Amen. Excellent. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate this. And I know our viewers will as well. This has been Summer Camp and COVID-19 presented by the Sherry Group. We'll see you next week.
0: This has been Summer Camp and COVID-19 presented by the Sherry Group, LLC. Thank you for listening.